You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, I've got a bit of an issue. Oh yeah. Do you remember the time capsule? <laughs> I can't find it. <laughs> I can't oh. find it. Okay. Um, so I was going to kick off this show by going a little bit early because I said the time capsule that the predictions I made for the 2018 season, um, some of those had kind of off-field consequences or maneuver or whatever. So I, I gave myself until the end of signing period, the official signing day in February. What we really haven't anticipated the last couple of years is that mo- the majority of signing is done now in December. Right. And that day is not as important. Um, so I was just going to be like, oh, screw it. Like I'll live or die by what I said two weeks early. And now I can't find the damn thing. So this means I'm going to have to go and dig up the actual, I've never listened to one of our old shows. Those of you who tweet us and say that you're listening to old shows, I immediately submit your name and as much personal information as I can glean to the, uh, the violent criminal VICAP database that the FBI has. Because if you listen to old episodes of a weekly college football podcast, I just assume you are a serial, a serial killer. Is that fair? I, it's fair. Yeah. I, most of the time when people say that, it's they're responding to something that we said in December. So, yeah, we're not, they're not like, you know, back in this, you know, June of 2016, you guys, blah, blah, blah. I think there have been a couple of cases of that, but it's still <clears throat> rare. Um, I will have to go and dig up the old episode then and then actually find what I said on air. Um, because I, I had a document. I don't know where I wrote, what, what, uh, platform I use the document in. I am going to be honest and not modify anything. I mean, if you really want to fact check me, I did say it on a podcast in the preseason. Like I'm going to say August. Mm. I just can't find the damn thing. Well, yeah, this is where uh, we, we assign, you know, somebody on Reddit to, to go check it out and find, and, and put the list together and then we'll reward them with, well, I don't know, a future t-shirt to be made later or something. <sighs> Yes. All right. This is podcast. They played nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. That's the robot Bill Connolly. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S and P plus analytics system. The author of multiple books that you can find on amazon.com and other bookstore type places. Probably not. Everything's been sucked into the digital void. My name is Steven Godfrey. You can reach me at 38 Godfrey on Twitter. Um, I hate your football team. Um, and I am also cramped up against two meetings, a phone call with some, Lawyers, I'm trying to break news in a, on a weird story, and it's late January. I, I am living at an, a pace I feel uncomfortable with because you have the season, and then you have the coach season, and then you have that kind of like that die-off, right, where you still have a couple position coaches. We'll get into that in a minute. I thought I'd be calmer, and I'm not. I'm trying to get this. I'm trying to hustle and get this weird story out. Um, I don't like it. This is January. I'm supposed to be doing nothing. I, I I had dreams of doing this podcast in late January, early February with like while playing a video game or possibly just laying in bed. And I'm not Man, doing my job. Life is hard. Trash. Bill. Yeah. When's the damn preview going to start? So, okay. Um, we'll, we'll use PAPN as a, as a way to vote on this. 
So there are two options for when the preview starts. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the way I create the calendar, just generally speaking, is, you know, it has to end basically two weeks before the season starts. That way we, you know, for whatever package we put together, we might be doing things a little differently this year in terms of timing there, but whatever. Uh, it, I try to get, you know, get it done at the, like that two week warning kind of uh, place. Then I add uh, kind of a two week cushion in for missing days throughout the year, or the, uh, throughout the summer and whatnot, uh, skipping some days here and there. And so basically when you, you know, from there, I just count backwards. And what that tells me is um, this preview should be starting on February 4th. I can do that. Um, I believe Bowling Green is the first team up, if I recall correctly. Um, But there's another option. So, So the other issue, and the reason I'm bringing this up, is that February 6th is the other signing day, right? Uh, two days after the previous season or the previous series is supposed to start. Um, I That means I will not have final like S&P Plus projections and whatnot until like that Friday, the whatever that is, the 8th or so. Um, so I can write uh, a, a week's worth of Mac previews without knowing the official projections and all that. So somehow I think we'll get by. But the other option would be to put out the 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 final or the the whatever we want to call them. They're not final, but the the 2019 S and P Plus projections on February 8th, and then start the previews the following Monday. And what we can do to catch up time is I'll just write them anyway. We'll put in the projections and everything, and we'll basically go football, college football style with two-a-days for the first week uh, with two previews on Monday, two on Tuesday, two on Wednesday, et cetera. Uh, and that, therefore, we uh, catch up that way, and we catch up pretty quickly. So really, this is all just about do you want to devour Bowling Green and Central Michigan in the same day or one a day? And this is a vital question I've been wrestling with. I feel like it's a tradition to go one a day. I know, but two a day sounds fun, doesn't it? <laughs> two a days begin in two weeks. You know that uh, we, you know I could have some. Maybe that's worth an extra like eight clicks or something. Maybe the Bowling Green preview will get like you know eleven. I, I don't know. I see every side of this. I mean, would you go to? I mean, two a days where you have two major Power Five programs where no, you can stretch no, that it, out this from would a coverage perspective. Be, this would simply be doing 10 Mac previews in five days instead of 10 in 10 days. But that makes me feel bad. Like we're sliding those <laughs> G fives that we, we love so much. Sure. Uh, so... We're sliding them the other way by not having a full, uh, like a full on Bowling Green proje- set of projections in their preview though. So there's that way of looking at it too. <clears throat> there is a weird, uh, I got, uh, I put it up on Twitter a couple days ago. I, um, our friends over at Athlon sent me a, an advanced copy of the MLB season preview because <laughs> it has a uh, Cunha on the cover, the greatest baseball player in the world on the greatest baseball team in the world. And it dawned on me. Someone actually, no, it didn't dawn on me. I put this on Twitter. I was like, Hey, yeah, it's almost a Cunha season. Like, oh, I'm really excited for the Braves. This is the most excited I've been about an MLB season since I was like 15. Um, someone pointed out on Twitter. They're like, wow, that's a ballsy move. And I was like, well, what do you mean? They're like, Bryce Harper hasn't even decided where he's yeah. going to play. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that may be worse than some of the situations you run into with, with your early season stuff. Oh, yeah, no, anytime we start talking about, um, like, each year when we interact with the Athlon folks and get stuff into them and, and talk, they talk about deadlines and everything, it just stresses me out so bad to think about, like, there is going to be a set of transfers in May that doesn't make the, the Athlon magazine. And that just the thought of that just makes me super anxious inside. I mean, I understand why. Oh, yeah. 
but two know. a day on the Mac. I don't know. I kind of want I kind of want people to weigh in on this. I just feel like you're I feel like you're dabbling with a religion here. I know, and you know, at the same time, making you wait an extra week, it's making you a little hungrier, and then you're willing to just oh, two in a day. Yes, I'll absolutely devour uh, Western Michigan and like Akron in the same day. My God, yes, you know, maybe I don't know. Okay, how many um, schools, how many co- conferences would be subject to this two-a-day methodology? Just, I would catch up within a week. It would be the first 10 MAC previews. Uh, so it's just the MAC? Yes. It's just that. The so you're simple, not going to do this to the Sun Belt? No. You're not going to do this? Okay. It would just be list- the simple inconvenience of writing a week's worth of previews without the actual projections that tend to go with them. Mm-hmm. Which I think I did last year, and it's not like the world ended. But, uh, well, actually, mm-hmm. the world the world has kind of tried to end in the last 12 months. So maybe this is a way to um, if you're out there and you're listening and you're a Mac fan <laughs> and you don't get your single day in a sun, you have to share it with somebody else. Um, I want to hear from you. Also, as we've been recording this, I've dug through every file system I have, mm-hmm. Google Drive, Evernote, everything, email, nothing. What did I do with this thing? I <sighs> just made it up on the spot. No, I didn't because I actually the, – the sadder part was I labored over this because I said specifically that if I was – I think if I had – more than three out of ten, it would be considered a massive success. Damn it. And I know here's the worst part. I know I got one right because I said I said by the end of signing day, 2019, either Gene Smith or Urban Meyer will no longer be in their respective position at <laughs> the Ohio State. I made that damn prediction and I was right. I just don't remember the other day. And then I also made one about like Arkansas surging late. That one was terrible. Um, no, it made a lot of see, sense I, too. I was pretty confident in that one, and it did not happen. You had a lot of confidence in me screwing it up, or you had a no, lot of confidence no, I thought, in, in my I thought Arkansas had all the look of a team that would start to figure things out as the year went on, and instead, it was the exact opposite. They have recruited extremely well. Kind of need a quarterback, though. That that kind yes. of is an issue for them at the moment. And we'll no, see there's a lot of stuff that they need. It just didn't. It didn't happen in that mm-hmm. regard. Well, I'm just going to give up now because this makes for a bad podcast. But damn, I'm pissed about this. So you want to talk about Gronk? <sighs> All right. So how much Super Bowl stuff are you on right now? <laughs> That's it. That's been it. And I'll have uh, another piece next week. And then. Um, if you saw this on Twitter, uh, this is hilarious. So uh, for Super Bowl Sunday, I will be live blogging the game for SB Nation while at least somewhat on camera in Costa Rica at the Sportsbook Review webcast. Betcast, sorry, Betcast. With It's me and it's Bud Elliott and it's my friend Ed from the Power Rank and it's a bunch of gamblers with me talking about the Super Bowl on camera while I live blog. I'm going to hmm. Costa Rica for the Super Bowl. Hmm. Are you actually just going to like harvest organs or buy something on the black market or? Well, I mean, who knows? I have a day to myself before the Super Bowl. If you're Bowl. pushing cocaine, I'm just saying you, you're you're way too nice of a human being. You probably have not. You probably don't think with a criminal mind. Is that's all I'm saying? Or so if, if you're in this, if you're flux. in that mindset, why don't you consult your bow Godfrey? Okay. Well, I'll let you know off uh, off air. Uh, but yes, I will be on, uh, is it Jaco Beach? Jaco? I, I'm not real sure how, how that should be pronounced, but J-A-C-O Beach in Costa Rica at the Sports Book Review, I don't know, complex. Cool. Uh, something. I'm jealous you're going to be in warm weather. Yeah, Jamie's mad at me too. My wife is super mad at me about this too. And then I have to remind her, I'm going to be traveling like all freaking day Friday. The The airport shuttle is going to pick me up at like two in the morning. I'm going to get dropped off Monday night at like one in the morning. 
Uh, so it's like two full days in planes and airports for like three hours of sun. And really, honestly, with as hilariously bad as Columbia, Missouri weather has been over the last month, that's kind of that that almost feels like a, a reasonable uh, sacrifice to make. But it's still it's it's going to be a brief moment. I'm going to just try to get like one drink sitting in a chair in the sun. And then that's really all I'm hoping for. Um, We're not going to talk about the Super Bowl. You've made a bunch of comments on Twitter that I was going to just burn up this entire episode talking about the Saints. I'm not. I would love to go back and listen to, now that I feel like I'm strong enough as a human <laughs> being, listen to the episode we did after I got back from the Super Bowl two years ago. Oh, God, don't do it. Don't. I don't think do I just – no, I think I just said flat out I'm not talking about it. I'm pretty sure I came back on the air on Tuesday and was just like, nope. <laughs> nope. Not happening. Uh, I am, yeah, I did roll around, as Holly Anderson said on Twitter, um, like a baby panda in leaves uh, in the in the misery and the uh, malcontent. And uh, a colleague, uh, a nice guy, Will, Br- uh, <laughs> uh, Will Brinson over at CBS, um, I did not dunk on him, but just dunk on the concept where he observed, and I'll pull, the, I'll pull my own tweet up, which is, this is so self-referential, it's gross. Uh, I do think this has a very strong college football origin, and I think I would get a 100% agreement on this. There's this idea that floated for like five seconds that we somehow, as as fans, care about the fairness of a rival team's situation. So what Will Brinson said was, Falcons were one shady DPI call away from the Saints inhabiting their locker room and city for a week and having to cheer for the Patriots, the team that pulled off a 28-3 Super Bowl comeback against them just to avoid seeing Sean Payton celebrate at midfield of their stadium. And then I made a joke like, yeah, we're all really struggling with the ethics of this right now, (laughs) slash opens beer at 10 a.m., the morality is killing me, slash lights fireworks indoors. Um it, this just something about this rivalry, maybe because I'm a college football writer, just it definitely feels obviously it's very southern, it feels very collegiate to me. Um, if there is a comparable screw job, and there are out there with the play, with the no call and all that in the world of college football, or just a screwing in general, right? If you really hate LSU. And and Alabama sneaks by hook or by crook back into the national title picture the last year of the BCS, and they shut them out, and LSU never crosses midfield in the Superdome in New Orleans, and Alabama humiliates them. You And LSU's a bad example because they don't have a specific blood rival, like someone who absolutely hates them. Like maybe it's Ole Miss, maybe it's A&M, maybe it's Auburn some years. You don't care. You don't care that your, your rival got screwed over. You're just happy about the result. Right. I don't think anybody in the world – I mean, look, right now, objectively, yeah, it was a terrible call, a terrible no call. No call. Um, boggles the mind. There were other bad calls. In the, I didn't even watch the game, by the way. So I, I did. Can't, there I, were other bad I, I, calls, and some of them went the Saints way. I mean, this was the worst, and it was the last one, but it's not – this wasn't some dramatically one-sided ridiculousness. Yeah, I love the conspiracy theories going. I am kind of reveling in that. That's pretty hilarious. Um, because when they got too. when they got exposed for Bounty Gate, oh, yeah, very collegiate too. When they got exposed for Bounty Gate, they did the same thing. There were multiple books written by Saints fans about like <laughs> trying to go trying to go Woodward and Bernstein on the NFL. That was an organized conspiracy. I love it. Love well, it. I mean, uh, the Patriot. The fact that the Patriots have done the same thing is um, is is even more beautiful. But um, so anyway. Um, it feels very collegiate to me. 
Schadenfreude is the is the order of the day, no matter what, no matter what kind of situation that you're in with your fandom, right? Well, I mean, yeah, and look, if Missouri was in the national title game, if Missouri somehow advanced to the CFP finals and won because of a bad call, like I wouldn't not order the DVD and buy every single T-shirt I find in the local stores. Like I, I, I would rather win cl- perfectly clean. I would rather my rival lose perfectly clean. But really, above all else, I'd just rather they lose. And and everything that happens after that, I don't really care as much. In the in the heat of the moment, I'll, I'll bargain my way right into it. However, whatever it takes. Um, it got to bring up a bunch of old stuff because I remembered we had a very controversial no call to end the 2012 NFC Championship when San Francisco went on to play Baltimore in New Orleans. Uh, a very similar thing happened. Atlanta was was uh, a drive away from playing in New Orleans for the Super Bowl, and Navarro Bowman held Roddy White on a fourth down play that oh, where yeah. Roddy was the intended target. It was very very similar to the Saints thing, and there was a no call. You could have gone DPI, you could have gotten defensive holding, either of which would have created a first down and put the Falcons, I think, on the five. Um, that's no half the distance goal, but inside the five. Um, these things happen, and no, <laughs> there weren't lawyers the next day <laughs> trying to sue the NFL. I, I just, I don't know. It blows my mind. Uh, I love the gall and the presumption, and it's fun to get into the fan base stuff, but um, I just think you're no one cares like if you're if you're rivaled i just i have a hard time with it. okay if you're a michigan fan mm-hmm. um or no if you're a florida state fan and the fiesta bowl in o2 okay you're a florida state fan and you hate miami and miami gets screwed on the call late in the game right mm-hmm. allegedly right. so ohio state wins that national championship you think florida state fans are upset or like they feel bad they don't feel bad at all in any way no. shape or form god no no, they're just happy Miami didn't win another, another national championship. I'm just sitting here happy today because it didn't even dawn on me that, like, yeah, the team I hate, the, the, the team I love the most, the team I hate the most, they were going to be practicing in our facility, using our locker room, all of it, the whole deal for a week because they're, they're the NFC team. And so it was like, oh, geez, like, I don't want that. I don't want that at all. I don't care. It was a bad call. Yeah, absolutely. But sorry. It happens. <laughs> also, the only reason you got to the Super Bowl back when you won it, well, you won the Super Bowl because Peyton Manning can't, threw a bad interception, and you got there because Brett Favre threw an even worse one. I'll oh God, that there. was a just a, that was the most magnificent interception of his career. Like you could see That's it coming eight seconds in advance. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, come on. Um, you want to talk about a conspiracy? Brett Favre was probably on the take for New Orleans because he's from South Mississippi. There you go. Get a lawyer. Anyway. Um, I did write a piece about all... Gronk. I did write a piece about Gronk today, and I hope that you all humor me by clicking on it. Why? Um, because I wrote it, and therefore it should be clicked. No, on. why did you write a piece on Gronk? Because I was asked to, and and he is kind of a key person for the big game that is happening next week. So, I've got a good college Gronk story. I, I, I assume you're not the only one. <laughs> I go out to Arizona when Richrod's there. Uh, I don't even remember when this was. A long time ago. 2014, 15, something. I don't know, 16. I don't know. And uh, they've done well to this point. This was before they had the defensive collapse, and he still had the longtime defensive coordinator, Castile, I think. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they're doing well. And we're sitting there talking about Arizona just sort of as like an unrealized opportunity in college football, that Arizona State was sucking up more of the football talent, both in the state and the region, 
And that it was Arizona had adopted sort of a why not us mentality towards college football. And, you know, we're a long way from Desert Swarm. What year was that? That was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. That was 90s. Right. So why not, you know, kind of why not Arizona? And so Rich Rod keeps going back to like, the you know, you get Tucson, you get a small town that's close to major cities, but you're in the Southwest, you're in this beautiful area where there's all these resorts and spas and like he recruits it. And then he just sort of like drops the pretense in a great Rich Rod sort of way and just says, look, ask Gronk why he came here. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't, I, sir, I don't, I don't know why. He says, well, Gronk came here because... Where's Gronk from? Like Massachusetts? Oh yeah, or Western, somewhere Western PA there. or something. I don't know. He said Gronk. He said Gronk. Gronk tells me he came here because he gets off the plane for his visitation. The first thing he sees is an apartment complex across campus. There's girls in bikinis in the hot tub. It's December. <laughs> I was like, okay. He goes, publish that. That's why you should come to Arizona. <laughs> So about four hours later, I'm in the office of then Arizona athletic director, Greg Byrne, and I'm sitting there and I casually make reference. I was like, yeah, you know, coaches tell me, hey, look, there's a lot of appeals here in it. And I just, before I can get the words Rob Gronkowski out, Byrne, who is now the athletic director at Alabama, like kind of gives me this Darth Vader look like, don't use that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. he goes, we're, we're, we're aware of what, we're aware of Gronk's passion for Arizona. <laughs> I was like, come on, man. It's a freaking perfect anecdote. It is funny, and, by and the way. Oh, go ahead. I was saying, if you go to Tucson right now, like you just talked about going to Costa Rica, like that's, it's a pretty, I mean, you know, you take the gender and the sexual stuff out of it. Just honestly, hell, I, you know, at AFCA in San Antonio, it was oh, like yeah. 65 degrees and it's, sunny. It's gorgeous. Yeah, no. So why not Arizona? I when I uh, was in Boise for that piece last summer, uh, summer of 2017, I guess, uh, last last summer, um, we talked about you know the culture in Boise State and why guys haven't necessarily when coaches move on they haven't necessarily well Peterson obviously is doing fine but like Dan Hawkins didn't find the same level of success when he left Dirk Cutter did but in the pros uh, and at different you know different levels of success or whatever but a different level of the sport he he didn't really succeed at Arizona State all that much. And when I was, I was asking like, what, why don't they, you know, have more success? And there, and whoever it was, they were like, I, I don't, I don't know what you could say about Hawk exactly, but I think Cutter went down to Arizona, went down to Tempe, um, and wasn't really prepared to deal with all the, shall we say, extra distractions that the players have to deal with in Tempe as compared to Boise, and how it was a little harder to get everybody to focus uh, on, on, on the prize when, when, you're, when you're getting ready and it's, and it's hot and it's in Arizona and whatnot. So kind of a double-edged sword there. Uh, it's, a, it's a recruiting tool, and then it's also uh, a good way to not focus on why you're there. Bill, uh, just to capture the zeitgeist of this particular time frame, this particular mm-hmm. week, this particular moment in the cycle of the college football offseason, obviously we solicited for questions uh, this morning before we went on air. You guys were uh, great and generous and wonderful, very smart questions. Um, I got a DM from a, a college football coach who saw my solicitation for questions, <laughs> and he said, and I can't use his name because you're about to find out why, he said, serious question. I just unofficially accepted a new job yesterday. It it can it can't be official until the AD at the new school gets back from the NCAA convention this weekend. What do coaches do in this limbo time? I haven't resigned or told anyone yet here in the off chance things fall through. So I've been clicking through game films randomly on the computer looking busy, 
This just seems like stealing. Just listen to PAPN. Listen to old episodes of PAPN. This, so we in the media <laughs> carry water for the concept that college football coaches are often the busiest human beings on earth, right? The 3 a.m. meetings, the running around, the hashtags all the time, the we visited 10 recruits in one day, never a day off, row the boat, pull the chain, da-da-da, the team, the team, the team. I'm here to tell you right now, there are periods in this calendar where college football coaches don't do shit. And we're in one right now. If you can't be on the road recruiting, you probably aren't doing much right now. Right. It's the truth. You're not doing a lot. Yeah, I know there are a lot of teams that self-scout at this point, or, or maybe they already have. Maybe they were doing it like a, right after their bowl or if they didn't make a bowl sometime in December. But this is a time for kind of the big picture kind of meetings about philosophies and stuff. But that's not – when you're used to working 12 hours a day, that's certainly going to be a little – and it's funny though, because they don't know what to do. Like, no, like they don't. When, when that's why my phone blows up. Yeah, and that's you know we think about when guys, these guys retire. Um, this is my go-to example, but Gary Pickle talked a lot about that, like in the book he wrote when he was done. Like, it took him a good almost a year to to adapt to an actual like calendar and an actual clock. And when he did, I mean, he looks great now. He's he's doing great. But it took him a long time because everything is so regimented and you have your task list every all 365 days of the year and when you don't, you're like, "Oh my god, what am I going to do with myself? I'm too old for video games." You're never too old for video games. <laughs> True. Okay. Stop that nonsense right there. Okay. Uh I had one um and I think you know who it is, but I can't say it publicly. I'm sorry. I love you guys. Uh, I had one former head coach who's currently an assistant head coach or assistant coach, I should say. Sorry. Assistant head coach is a real title. He's an assistant coach and has been so bored recently and has called me so much. Now, you get into these these spurts where like you talk to your sources about coaching stuff like a lot, like 10, 20 times a day um, when you're in the heat of the silly season, right? So like mid-November to probably New Year's Day. Okay. Right? I've taken calls on Christmas before. <laughs> um, but <laughs> then you get into these new phases now with this, like, where you got guys who are looking for assistant jobs and they're not on lame duck staffs. We hear a lot about that, right? Like, we know we're getting fired, we're dicking off. Da, da, da. It's right. even worse than that. Or it's like, well, the head coach is staying, but, uh, you know, I'm a position coach. My coordinator's leaving. I'm looking at three jobs. So I'm just kind of sitting in the office right now. I've had one assistant who's a former head coach who should know better who has called me so much in the past month that like i try and put the professional sheen on for 95 percent of my sources who call in other words like hey stephen godfrey hey, how are you coach da, 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 da. like go to a quiet room in my house i operate out of a home office all right um i live in an urban core meaning i don't have a ton of space my house isn't massive it's not like one of those suburban kind of deals where you got you know everyone lives in the suburbs you're like we got a rec room we don't know what to do with it and i was like every inch of our house is accounted for <laughs> point being is that i have two kids under five and finally this coach called one day and my wife was exasperated and he's like she was like is that x again and i was like yeah and, and he said uh, hey man what are you doing and i said i am changing a diaper <laughs> right now it's a shit diaper I'm changing it right now. How are you, coach? And I think he could sort of sense the exasperation in my voice because <laughs> these guys go from engagement of staff meetings, film breakdown, recruiting phone calls, dealing with like all this high-level, high-energy, positive stress stuff that they feast on because that's their personality types to where if you give them four-hour blocks of nothing to do, most of us secretly desire 
more than drugs or sex or, you know, most grown adults. I think if you said, would like, if you ranked all these illicit activities and then you threw in like five hours of doing nothing, we would be like, oh God, give it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything for it. I'll pay for it, right? Five hours of doing nothing. The young parents out there definitely know what I'm saying. These coaches look at it like it's a disease. It's insane. I'm like, go. I was like, have you heard of Netflix? Fire it up, dude. You're probably on like a really good, you know, fiber connection on a college campus. Y'all, y'all start watching Ozark or something. Let me know how it ends because I sure as hell don't have time to watch that shit. Like, go. They don't do that. Coaches I know, you can't talk. Bill, what's the first thing like when a bunch of us from SB Nation get together, we start talking about like, have you seen this movie? Have you seen this TV show? Have you played this video game? Have you normal stuff, right? Or if we're in a different city, like, hey, have you ever been to this restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. You can't talk to coaches about any of that stuff at all because <laughs> they don't know, dude. They don't know. Will Muschamp not knowing who Yoda is is the is the norm. It's not the exception. Yeah, when when, when whoever was Muschamp or whoever was like, oh, there's an election today. You're like, I have no idea if he's being serious or if he's joking. He really might not be joking. Oh, he wasn't joking. <laughs> I know plenty of coaches who know Will Muschamp. I, I know people on that staff. He wasn't joking at all. There's no way. And a bunch of coaches listen to this, a bunch of young coaches too. And y'all know I'm telling the truth. Because you guys always talk about like when you guys get your hands on the players and you have time to do stuff, it's like, we're going to have 20-hour days and we're so much more efficient and we're listening to these self-improvement podcasts and da 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 And then I'm like, y'all get some free time on your hands. Like, call your wife. I tell you what you should do, every coach listening. If you really have four hours and you don't have to be at the facility, go home and do one menial household task. (laughs) Because you sure as hell don't do it all year long. Go home and fold a basket of laundry if you know how. Like, sweep a floor, vacuum something, and your lady will love you forever. It's a very strange topic today. We solicited questions and got a bunch. We haven't actually answered any yet. So let's. Uh, we got a really good yeah. batch of Ask PAPNs. Um, who's up first, me or you? Our friend Victor at SGT Sparty. I wanted somebody to bring this up because it, it just I, I there's this is gonna this is the top moment of the offseason for me. Um, was there a weirder set of coaching moves than those made by Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio? Was he just hoping Warner would get picked up somewhere else and it never happened? So if you've kind of dialed it back a little bit and haven't been paying attention. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this is this I this just makes me I am so delighted by this Mark D'Antonio uh, with his horrific even by Michigan State standards horrible offense uh, that took the field this year he decided to shake things up uh, on his offensive staff and, and try to bring in some new blood uh, I almost mean shake it up literally <clears throat> as in basically <clears throat> nothing changed but job titles Qu- running backs coach Dave Warner uh, is now quarterback's coach. Quarterback's coach Brad Salem is now running back's coach. Offensive line coach Mark Staten is, or Staten, Staten is now tight ends coach. Tight ends coach Jim Ballman is now offensive line coach. Uh, and apparently <laughs> defensive backs coach Don Treadwell is now receivers coach. And receivers coach Terrence Samuel is now defensive backs coach. <laughs> that just, that's, that's beautiful. That is the Mark D'Antonio. I only have about eight people in this world that I trust and I'm not firing any of them. So we're going to just try to figure this out in house, which 
can work. Uh, this is my second Gary Pinkle reference of the show, impressively enough. But he like went out of his way not to fire anybody. He like he fired like three people ever at Missouri. Um, they just tr- tried to you know within the the staff he had, they tried to solve problems. So it can't work. Um, but this is like a creative way of, of being horribly uncreative. I just, I cannot, I just, it's, it's chef's kiss here for me. I approve wholeheartedly. Um, I don't have a lot to add other than this is a job people are starting to talk about a lot as, um, we're probably looking at the final act of the Mark D'Antonio era at Michigan State. Well, which means he's going to win nine games next year. And then when we decide, he when, when might, we decide, you know what? Okay, fine. He's he's good again. Then they're going to go three and nine the next year. Well, I think it'd be more of him just maybe. Yeah, he's 62. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. And no offense, coach, but, you know, maybe kind of looks older than some other. Well, it's been, I mean, it's been, all jokes aside, it's been fraught for the last couple of years. So, <laughs> um, that is a job that is talked about as being uh, potentially open a lot right now. Yeah. And, you know, I know people think I'm talking about hire and fire. It's not that binary. Um, I think he really is looking at the future and how long he's going to be there. And, you know, you know, Meyer being gone changes a lot of people's outlooks at a lot of different places in that league. I don't know if it should because I don't know how – quickly that will reverberate in terms of Ohio state being susceptible to whatever or weak to whatever. I mean, I think there's still going to be sort of the Ohio state largely that they were in terms of the football parts. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I doubt it. Um, I think that Ohio state is Ohio state. Michigan is Michigan. We sort of, they are kind of known quantities right now, even with the change. I mean, Ohio State has a very good head football coach. Yeah. So if you're Michigan State or Maryland, um, you know, one of those other schools that's sort of on the the have-nots, got to start looking at a longer-term plan in the future. And I think D'Antonio has had a ridiculous, remarkable run at that school. There's no arguing that. Yep. Um, we Like I said, I just think we're in the final act. Yeah, I, I mean, it's – he, yeah, again, he's 62. So even if he like, he's got two things working against him there. Number one, he's probably tired, uh, and number two, the results haven't been what they need to be. So um, that's going to kind of push things in that direction anyway. But um, let's see. Fun while it lasted. Um, he, uh, you've talked about a lack of school interest in granting access for you to write pieces, such as Washington and San Diego State. Is there a place that interests you? Um, look, I'm gonna stop the question right there. I can say this now because it's been like three or four years. I pitched San Diego State because I wanted to go to San Diego for a couple of days. They were going to go play Michigan. It shaped up to sort of be like an App State situation, I thought. They ended up getting drilled by Brady Hoke. I'm glad I didn't go. San Diego State was less than receptive, almost dickish about my interest. However, I was also looking at a calendar and being like, it'd be cool to go to San Diego for a couple of days. <laughs> Normally, I do not operate like that because clearly like when you embed at Western Kentucky, you're not going there for the scenery. But I hear, I hear it's hilly and nice, though. They got hills. Uh, is there a place that interests you, but might not be of interest to anyone else? I don't know. It's not, that's our entire podcast. Yeah, seriously. Somewhere you find intriguing, but can't quite figure out how to sell a story. Um, so there's a lot of different parts to that. Um, you and I both talk all the time about stuff we'd like to do. We don't even know if SB Nation or like our college football team would be like, what? You know? <laughs> um, yeah, as far as access, I mean... Uh, Let's start at the top. Uh, yeah, I would love to go to Alabama. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, everybody would. Anybody anybody in our industry who says they wouldn't or they're trying to be too cool, they're lying. 
Um, it's such a prototype. It's such an established standard. What you know, what happens there changes college football almost on a freaking daily basis yeah. in certain times of the year. So yeah, you start there, you go there. Um, and then to that end, I also think Georgia would be just as interesting because it's as close as anyone's tried to come to replicating that system. Um, now the places where only we find it intriguing, um, El Paso hmm. slash Las Cruces would be pretty high on my list. Yeah, I've had that Juarez pitch for a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yours always involves like part of your pitch is like, and I might die here, but I probably won't. Those are um, good story pitches. Yeah. Um. Uh, I'm trying to think of the ones that I, w- I would want to share right now that wouldn't, that, <laughs> you know, that I'm okay with being out in the ether. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested in last dish effort. Sometimes I'm. Yeah. I would like to do an embed where, um. It's a total fate accompli. Um, a, sh- a bad team in a bad situation, ending a bad season with a lame duck coach. I'd like to see what that last week looks like. <laughs> um, that's a hard sell, though. Yeah. Um, and, and usually, it's the it's not what uh, lame duck or embattled coaches want as a reporter documenting every <laughs> reason why they're getting fired. So it doesn't happen. Um, and you're a pretty tall dude, so you couldn't just like blend it, show up, and blend into the scenery very well. No, unfortunately, I stick out literally. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any others. Um, you know, the one that I, I thought was such a Hail Mary in access was was Army because you're on post at West Point. You have to get clearance from DOD and all that stuff, but we made that happen. Um, so I guess, yeah, Alabama is sort of this ridiculous kind of castle in the sky situation. But um, if the question is places where I know where I won't get the access, where I'd love – to sort of be in there and pick it apart. USC is one right now. Yeah. Um, Heritage Hall to me is fascinating, but not for necessarily good reasons for Heritage Hall. <laughs> um, that's another one. Uh, in terms of positive, I mean, look, Hawaii is a logistics problem and a cost problem, but I definitely think, yeah. again, the, the 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 volume of positive and the volume of narrative and, and just the things they can't overcome to counterbalance the positive, like, it's very interesting to me. It's a hard sell because, you know, it's a pricey trip. Um, yeah, it's so unique in so many ways. That's definitely on my oh, list too. Oh, uh, BYU. Same yep. situation. Same situation. LDS is very, I mean, you know, the, the the church control specifically on that program is so strong that I'm trying to, I've tried to overcome that for a long time and get in there and pick it apart. And I think they're afraid for good, for understandable reason, not good reason, understandable reason. I get that part that they're afraid, but uh, I'm I'm certainly not here to make fun of Mormons. I want to write about that incredibly unique football coach. Again, both positive and negative. Most people don't want warts and all. Um, I want to go, ta- go tailgate at a Louisiana Lafayette game, but Holly Anderson already did that for whoever Well, that's not SI. really – yeah, I mean, you can go do that tomorrow. I know the SID. Set you up. Oh, so do I. Actually, so do I, don't I? You used to yep, you do. Um, so – You know, here's one. That Bama is the Shangri-La. yeah. yeah. But being up, you're right. Like I would love to be able to go and write my piece on Bama, but that's yes, yeah. because all I want to do is sit in his office. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't give a shit about uh, the X's and O's. Not in that case. There's some now. There's some situations where we went, we'll go in and do like this is a moment this offense or defense is having or whatever. And in that case, honestly, you'd probably send Richard or somebody else to do that. That's not my. That's not my raison d'être. Uh, <laughs> me sitting. I just want to get in his head and figure out how miserable he is. I want to see what I want to see what the cost of perfection is psychologically. 
I think right? we, I think we got some clues about that this last year. Um, exactly. That's I I want to sit with a man who is willing to sacrifice common decency for success. Common being a human, even by coach standards. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that would be... And I don't think he's a bad person when I say that. I don't. A lot of Bama fans want to jump my ass when I say stuff like that. But, I mean, look, he's basically telling you that. Yeah. One of the most interesting things I did, and it's a long time ago now, was that story about him coming up to Tennessee and doing the speaking circuit thing. And then I transposed that with Butch Jones at the time going and speaking in a town just down the road in East Tennessee. I believe it was Cleveland, Tennessee, and Athens, Tennessee. And uh, these are all kind of on the far east side of the state, really, really the backyard of Knoxville. Um, and I was just enthralled with the way, when absolutely forced to, Nick Saban interacts with rank and file bammers. And you, I mean, you, you could just, you know, hell is other people to Nick Saban. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced of it. Yeah. You know, he was so pissed off when someone used the editorial we. <laughs> um, and could not hide his disdain. And if I recall, it was a fairly young person. You know? Yeah. I love it. Um, one thing I would like to dive into a little bit, uh, and others have, I haven't necessarily figured out a good angle to pitch, but uh, mo- like the Monterey Tech and the fact that football, American football, is actually not not huge in Mexico, but it has footing in Mexico. I think that'd be super interesting that, I mean, maybe there's a way to weave that into something about, you know, Mexico city and the NFL and all that other stuff too. I don't know. Um, but there's just like, I would love to go to Monterey tech for a football game at some point. Um, me or you, I've got three or four. These are great yeah. questions, by the way. Thank you always. And, uh, you can always ask us questions at any time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we haven't can been, hear, you can hear this anymore. now and we will check it. Uh, but just use the hashtag ask PAPN. I now have a, dedicated column in my what is this tweet bot tweet deck i don't know where i just check it all the time so uh let's see i got one um evan knox at evan knox says this i just i I laughed out loud at this question because i'd forgotten about him uh so where is matt canada going to end up uh will it usc go after him as the big name oc du jour uh should georgia have tried to hire him i forgot that he was on the market um he did a, a really nice job this year at, at Maryland in an impossible situation. He did a really nice job. Um, not good enough apparently, but I, I think he proved a lot about himself as a coach. Uh, and he is currently unemployed. Um, I had a piggyback question. I want to say specifically about USC. So I'll bring that in. I don't think they use the hashtag. Yeah. Nicholas Salazar used the hashtag Nicholas. What's the best case scenario for USC after the Kingsbury mess? Where do they go from here? How do they get to a place that's reflective of the talent that they recruit? Um, Matt Canada to USC. I don't think it's going to happen. It wouldn't be a terrible fit. It wouldn't be a terrible fit. Just, just like the football part. Okay. (laughs) Um, I think that offense would do really well at USC if, if he was left alone. Um, he has had some struggles. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I had to toe a very specific line here and not get in trouble. Um, <laughs> it is commonly discussed in coaching and AD circles that Matt Canada doesn't stay anywhere at all for a long time. Yeah. There's a reason why. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, so that's why he's still sort of out in the ether. He interviewed for a bunch of jobs. Yeah. A bunch. 
tried to get in on a bunch more. Um, but you know, I know for a fact he interviewed at three schools for the head coaching job in this cycle. Um, I think he needs to find a stable spot where he can ply the trade of being a really, really good offensive coordinator. And I think in order to do that, given how much he's bounced around, been the interim head coach in a weird situation in Maryland, yeah. he needs to find a P5 that will let him do his thing for three years, get a clean bill of health in terms of like, hey, he's good to work with. We developed guys here. We recruited to the system we built, we built, and then maybe go take a swing at a high-level G5 job. That's my that's my shtick. Now, USC. Oh. <laughs> Um, I think USC is, I think it's more than Auburn. I think it's more than, uh, you know, your annual, someone's, someone's hair is on fire in the SEC job opening enter, entering September to me right now, what has USC done to earn the vote of confidence Lin Swan gave to that staff? To, he, he, Since he gave that vote, I mean, right. Like, I mean, he what, let it, what have they Martin done? And some guys, some underachieving assistants go. Um, and I, there was that, otherwise I have no idea. Cause, um, I mean, he obviously took a home run swing at the assistant. He, he got one and then it drifted foul at the last minute and he's back to the plate, uh, to try again and, and taking his sweet time apparently this time. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just as big a hire as it was when he made it the first time and now he's got to do it again. I don't know if they'll follow a Kingsbury path. I think that was a unique situation. So in other words, I don't think they're going to find someone with a similar play style or or philosophy. I think yeah. they're just going to go more candidate oriented versus right. scheme oriented. And I saw somebody uh, trying to float around. Uh, I think it was maybe our friend Saman or somebody um, <clears throat> mentioning how like Graham Harrell's name had been tossed around. If they wanted to go that route, I could think of a lot worse candidates than that. But yeah, great. I'm, not, I'm not convinced they wanted to go that route. It was just more holy crap. This extremely talented offensive coach is on the market. Um, so let's. Let's grab him and then figure out the details later. I don't think it was necessary. It was Clay Helton saying, I want to go air raid or anything like that. Um, I think it would be awesome. Yeah, I'd be all for it. At Buster from JP asks, how much do you think variance had to do with the huge difference in third down success in the natty between Bama and Clemson? Do you think that there was something major strategically that can be credited? Um we, talk, we talked about, about this a little bit after the game, but I did want to bring it back up because I got scolded by some Clemson fans for doubting, basically. Uh, I, I said something to the effect of, like, just the way the game was set up, this is probably, if it's a seven-game series, it's something Alabama wins in six. Um, I, I, I could be talked out of that a little, to a certain degree, but you don't win big games by well you don't you don't win a set of big games you can clearly win one big game you don't win a set of big games by creating much longer third downs for yourself than normal and then having a much higher third down success rate than normal uh those two things i you know clemson i want to write about this at some point uh, clemson's timing is is just different than everybody else's they are they are able to kind of go in the anti-stats direction of basically you know, I use my the full season stats for my ratings and and all that stuff, and and the post game win expectancy and blah 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 are based on specific stats, and they are able to kind of go against that to a certain degree by basically timing things well, but by basically going through third gear as go through through the season in third gear as long as possible until the moment they need to be in fifth gear and then shifting. You're not supposed to be able to do that, and they do it every damn year. It seems like, uh, and so in this game, I b- fully believe that they had a wonderful game plan 
established for handling blitz situations, handling the big third down passes, keeping, you know, having almost like what seemed like two completely different game plans, one for the normal downs and then one for these. They did a great job with it. It just, it's not going to work that well every time. That was randomness. That was uh, a variable where they could have easily, uh, facing third and long after third and long after third and long, uh, with much longer third downs in Alabama, they could have easily had that flipped uh, and and been in at at best a tight game in that situation because you know they could have easily gone four for fifteen while Bama went whatever I don't remember theirs but they were like four for eleven or something like that they could have easily gone seven for or eight for eleven with the short for third downs that they were dealing with so there was absolutely randomness involved. That, like I always say, like don't hand in, don't hand in the rings, don't don't sell back the DVDs. Like it's it's yours, and you won the game, and and it was an amazing set of third down uh, of catches and throws and whatnot. But it's it is it was partially random. It do, it's not going to happen like that every time. Uh, Joe Sanders. So uh, what's going on at V Tech? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Hmm. To say that anyone forecasted this is a lie, flat out. This is um, this was. I'm now googling myself. I what was the phrase I used? The best fit culturally that I've that I had ever seen right. in a in a P5 hire. Whoops. Yeah, I I mean, it it has been, well. <laughs> It's, if you don't it, know what we're talking about, yeah, let's back up. Um, there's, there's been a lot of attrition <laughs> at Virginia Tech in the Justin Fuente era to the point where I think now you can officially classify this as significantly more than just a transition. By the way, the whole point of hiring Justin Fuente was that he was so sort of in tune with that Virginia Tech mindset and was a natural fit to take over after Beamer. Like They were avoiding all of this. Um, Josh Jackson is now announcing that he's going to transfer. Um, it has just been a bloodbath of early declare, um, transferring out, decommits. Like it's uh, there's there's no one thing other than that. Clearly, the talent level here at Virginia Tech entering what year three? This will be his fourth. Fourth. That's right. Ending year three. I'm sorry. Uh, it's just not working. Yeah, Something is not working. This is not the level that Virginia Tech wanted in terms of talent and execution. Not yeah, even close. It's, it's a really tricky – like, it, at this point, it is mostly his program. I'm sure there are there – are, you know, this is only year four, so there are going to be some Beamer recruits still in mixed in, obviously. Um, but this latest round – so, yeah, quarterback Josh Jackson, who uh, was the starter – He basically didn't play this season. He went right. down in September, right. um, uh, had a leg injury, and was gone for most of the season. Yeah. Everyone assumed he would come back. Uh, he's transferring. Receiver Eric Kuma is transferring. Receiver Sean Savoy is transferring. Uh, running back Deshaun McLeese is transferring. Uh, now, in some of these cases, like Eric Kuma, he, 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 <laughs> he entered the transfer portal. Now um, – that doesn't mean he's transferring. That means he's basically exploring his options to transfer. Uh, what's an example? Tommy Stevens at Penn State last year. You know, he, he explored his options uh, and then decided to come back to Penn State. Technically, that could happen here. So not everybody who's in the portal, as many times as I love to say that word, not every not everybody who's in the transfer portal will end up transferring. So we don't know how bad it is yet. But a lot of people are in the in the transfer portal for Virginia Tech at the moment, including some starters. And the thing, uh, well, the thing about Jackson specifically is that he had he was the heir apparent, and 
uh, his first season, the 2017 season, was sort of the mark of, okay, they figured all this stuff out, right? Like, this is what they want to look like. This is the, who they're going to build around. And you have to speculate, is he leaving because he thinks he can't beat out the kid? I'm trying to remember the kid who took his job. Willis. Willis, Willis was like kind of, you know, not, he's he was okay. fine. He was you okay, know, he was yeah. fine on the stretch. It, th- this one is a head scratcher because surely he would be able to come back in the spring. They're going to do even reps. Because Fuente, you can tell from quotes as we pull this stuff up, like through bowl practice, that they fully expected him to be back. Yep. And compete for reps in the spring and then just win the, win the starting job back. Um, I mean, I, I assume it was nothing more than a formality. They were just trying to be nice to a kid who started all these games for you down the right. stretch and won a few of them, come back, beat Virginia. Um, this is uh, – there's no way to explain this off, flat out. There's not. No, he started this year really well too. Um, so it wasn't – I mean, who knows what he thinks about his own development, but he, you know, 16 for 26 with a 154 rating against Florida State. That's not – uh, you know that's not you know Kyler Murray, but it's quite good. Uh, he torched William and Mary like you're supposed to. He was doing okay against Old Dominion when he got hurt. Um, like it, it seemed like things were kind of moving apace there, and and so this is you start to it's it's great to want to establish your own culture, but it can't be so destructive that you never get a chance to actually win games like that you're constantly trying to establish the culture and you never have the team you want uh this is year four this is going to be a very very big year for him um it's another job that i think is on the board to talk about in 19 for sure i think he's still got a very good chance they weren't that far like if we assume the defense rebounds and that it was just extremely youth-based this year i know there are rumors about like him and bud foster not working all that well together bud foster's still a hell of a defensive coach and was the first two years that fuente was in town so this year was a a major blip and it was a blip that we could see coming so if that if the defense rebounds next year they should have a solid team it's just like you you need you need personnel you need to keep guys on campus and that's been a struggle it's always a massive gut punch when – and Penn State went through this with Bill O'Brien where the guy who follows up the lifer isn't the lifer. Right. And that's just, just the reality. You're adjusting to this. Like Florida State went through it. I mean, when you have a coach of 20-plus years, you're going to go through it regardless. The next guy's not going to be there 20 years. It's just not how it works, guys. <laughs> So we've gotten like 38 Georgia Tech questions, which I kind of find funny because we've talked a lot about Georgia Tech. So I don't know what new things to say about Georgia Tech right now, but anything you got, here's the, now's the time. A lot of people are asking what the expectation level is. Um, I'm going to go over to Tech. I'm going to visit with Coach Collins. I'm going to do a story in the spring. Um, I'm not being uh, coy this time. I'm just saying like I might want to wait because um, – for us to armchair it right now, yeah, roster needs work because you're transitioning out of a particular system. But I also don't think they're going to try and do anything drastic in year in year zero that would be – well, I guess we should start there and try and figure out. That's one of the things I wanted to wait on. Is this a does it, let me ask you does this qualify as a year zero just because you're transitioning out of the triple? Sure, I mean that's the thing. Like um, like we've talked about before, the offensive line itself has been is going to be learning or relearning maybe a completely different way of of, of blocking this coming year. And you figure that might be an issue. Uh, you figure they're gonna it, it's unless he goes unless he finds a grad transfer, which. By the way, it is possible in the, the you know the current landscape to kind of rebuild the a program in your image quicker if you want to go the transfer or the grad transfer route. Um, so if, if he wants to bring in a different kind of quarterback and and he's able to 
you know, figure some things out in that regard, then sure. Like he could maybe figure some, you know, get, get going reasonably quickly. There's, it's not like there's not talent uh, on yeah. staff. Like I can look at this, uh, look at their roster, the preview file. Uh, I'm cheating and looking at the preview file. I mean, they've got a couple sophomore running backs who, uh, or at least one Jordan Mason who did really well this year. Uh, in that system, if it translates to a different system, he looks like he has talent. Um, they're bringing in a, a, one of UConn's only good players, Tyler Davis, uh, tight end. They got most of their offensive line back. They got, um, you know, they, they have a ton of sophomores and juniors coming back on defense. Because that is kind of a reminder that they did have some seniors in the front seven, but they were pretty young defensively. So that can kind of, kind of come along. But yeah, it's, it's hard. Like, I, this is such a unique change, we, a change we don't see very much because so few teams run the triple option spread option sorry paul johnson spread option uh and when they do and they lose their head coach they tend to hire another spread option guy so it's a transition we don't have a lot of exposure to and we're not gonna we're not sure how long it's gonna take but transition weird staff good i'm struggling to say anything else right now just it seems like he's doing he's doing a nice job of putting things together but it's gonna take him a little while um let's see was a lot of Georgia Tech interest. Yeah, but. a lot, and I just I don't think I have anything new to say right now. It just it seems intriguing. It seems like he's doing well. Rod Thompson, apologize if y'all have discussed it and I missed it, but what's your opinion on inexperienced Matt Luke now having a very experienced staff? <laughs> Can't hurt. Um, it's it's a, it's a methodology. <laughs> uh, I know that Justin Fuente actually did the exact yep. same thing when he was at Memphis by yep. hiring. I think at one point he had five former head coaches on his staff. Yep. Um, Joe Moorhead did I, a little bit of that too. He brought Joey Jones and Mark Hudspeth, former uh, former Sunbelt uh, coaches, last year. Hmm. Um, I'm just more interested to see what Rich Rod can do with that personnel. Yeah. And then I'm I'm way more interested to see what McIntyre can salvage on that defense. I think it's less about the experience and more about um, these are the first hires that Luke made. Uh, he was he was hooked with Longo and McGriff. Uh, because those were Hugh Freeze hires, and he retained them through uh, the Freeze firing his interim year. And then also he, uh, I've been told by multiple people, felt really obligated after the whole, you know, when, when they ended the interim year, he and he gets the job. Sort of one of the major reasons outside of the local politics angle of Matt Luke getting that job was that he got such a cohesive effort out of the, out of the players yeah. and, and the kind of family vibe, and it's us against the world, and... The thinking was, well, like you, you can't sell that to your player culture. Succeed with it because they, you know, they won the Egg Bowl and they weren't embarrassing, essentially. And then turn around and fire both your coordinators, even right. though he probably wanted to even <laughs> that early on. Uh, he didn't have that problem now. They're both gone. Longo goes to North Carolina. McGriff got fired. Um, uh, <laughs> It's, I don't think it's so much ex head coach, honestly. I just I'm curious what the hell. There, there's a lot of work in front of both of those coordinators. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, because I mean they're they're kind of flipping this year in that you know they had an experienced and good offense and an inexperienced and bad defense. Well, now the the offense, you know, you lose Tomu, you lose AJ Brown, you lose Demarcus Lodge, you lose DK Metcalf, Greg Little, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they lose a lot, but the thought of Rich Rod with Matt what, Corral, Coral, Corral. I'm blanking uh, now. Whichever. The blue chip freshman corral. who yeah. he was 16 for 22 for 239 in limited time last year. Uh, and he's mobile. And so, I mean, you would assume Rich Rod can maybe figure out some things to do with him. It's just does he have the support to do it? Uh, and then on defense, 
you know, McIntyre for all of what, whatever he might inherit, he's going to inherit experience. The, like almost the entire front sevens back. Um, most of the secondaries back for better or worse, but, um, they were reasonably well-touted recruits, most of them. And, and a lot of them come back. And again, there were a lot of sophomores they were relying on sophomores and juniors at least. So in that, if you're an optimistic fan, this is the way I've been framing things lately, because it's so hard to come up with concrete answers in the off season. If you're an optimistic fan, there's a lot here that you can talk yourself into experience defense corralling rich rod on on offense that seems pretty great but um yeah it it is going to be really interesting to watch that's one of those previews that i'm really looking forward to writing Hmm. all right uh let's jump to we've got a couple more here way too busy for a january show Hmm. yeah we don't even have to solicit next week all right here's a big one here's a shotgun uh nicholas began what will be the most fun team to watch next season what a loaded, what a loaded Jeez, question I, to ask an analytical human being who hasn't done his season previews. This is why I'm going to put you on the spot, naked and afraid. Answer that question. Uh, I. That's too much. That's too much for me. I can't. What's your answer? My definition of fun is different. Well, sure, and that's part of the problem. Like, I mean, I can tell you who I think is going to have the best shot at the national title, but that's definitely no, not, no, not no, 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 definitely not that. So, definitely not that. I know if I say um, something, I'm going to realize after we record that I forgot about these 19 teams that are probably well, yeah. That's how it works. Um, how about North Carolina, a team I just talked about? Um, maybe for some kind of rubbernecking traffic accident reasons, but also because. I think they made a bunch of good hires on that staff. Uh, there's one. Yeah. I don't know if that's that won't be the most fun, but I'm just kind of building my list as I sit here and add. Yeah, basically, I'm treating this question, I think, as like what I just said about looking forward to writing the old Miss preview. I'm kind of like mm-hmm. that's where I'm kind of at. Like, who am I looking forward to talking about the most uh, from the ACC, North Carolina, for rubbernecking rubbernecking reasons? Absolutely. Yeah. And Miami uh, or uh, Miami. Uh, Oregon, because yep. we're getting, ooh, we're gonna have, we're gonna cook on that hype, slow cook on that hype. <laughs> um, Auburn, because the world's always ending, yep. right? Um, I mean, Texas A and M. Yeah, I don't know if it's gonna be fun, but it's just yeah. gonna be. I'm, I'm engaged. I'm interested. Yeah. Um, Purdue is always fun to watch. The Big Twelve as a whole, with Oklahoma, right? Uh, kind of re, re, trying to rebuild on the fly again, and Texas bringing back a ton. And Oklahoma <laughs> Texas State could ready. actually be fun to watch. Yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. But all right, uh, <laughs> morbidly the, curious yeah, in UCLA. This is this is crazy. To, uh, like we we've it's been really bothering you, isn't it? Well, the entire Big Ten freaking West is going to be interesting to talk about. As, I mean, Houston. I, I can't say that. At, oh yeah, Houston. Houston is going to be interesting for sure to talk about. Um. By the way, Memphis and Ole Miss play in Week One next year. Yeah, Memphis should be a favorite in that game. I know. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna stop because otherwise, by the give me another five minutes and I'll have named 74 teams that I think are going to be super interesting this year, and that that kind of ruins the point. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, here's I I got we got a couple of Penn State questions too. Here's one from uh, the first one I found Mitchell Hatula. Uh, so should Penn State fans be concerned with the recent surge in player transfers to other universities? Is is this a result of too much depth in some areas or a consequence of deeper issues? Uh, somebody had asked about Virginia Tech and Penn State combined. Um, 
to, to me, completely and totally different situations because of who's transferring. Virginia Tech is losing starters right now, and Penn State, for the most part, is losing backups. Or at least they're having backups put their name into the transfer portal with all the you know consequences that are, you know the lack of consequences that that means. So to to me, Penn State right now they they could be losing depth for sure. And Jawan Johnson, I know his his name is in the portal, um, and he's a starter. He just had a miserable year with drops, but he was still a starter. Uh, so, but it, it does, they're losing second stringers for the most part or third stringers, guys who have been passed on the depth chart by younger players. And to me, that's pretty normal. Um, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're the optimistic fan, you're spinning that into our recent recruiting has been really good. So these guys have been displaced and, and maybe that's not hundred percent true, but it's pretty true. So I, I'm not worried about Penn state unless you we want to talk about depth issues and whatnot that could emerge from it. Hmm. Okay. Um, oh, here's a good one. Okay. Because it's just tied to impossible. I like this. <laughs> Josiah Mintz, is it realistically possible for two for one of my two alma maters, Mississippi State and Oklahoma State, to win a conference and or national title in the next five years? Conference, absolutely. Oh, I mean, um, Oklahoma State has won a conference th- title this decade. Um, yeah. So. But now my question back to, to, to Josiah is that – since that's already happened, it's also the likeliest out or the, uh, right. yeah. Would that be okay with you if they just won the big 12 again? Right. Cause that's probably your best shot. And I'm going to focus on Oklahoma state because last I checked Mississippi state is still in a division with Alabama. Um, still murderous, man. Yeah. It's not, a, it's nothing against Mississippi state or any of those other schools. Like to talk about what's going on in Arkansas. And I don't think anyone asked us on this round of questions, but Arkansas is doing a hell of a lot right right now. And you just, then you, you take one step back and you're like, shit, like, <laughs> What is that in context? Yeah. You know? Um, here, Here's a fun one, buddy. We haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. You uh, ready? Sure. This is how we're closing the show. Are you ready? Uh, oh, uh, okay. <clears throat> I'm ready. I'm going to give you all the time in the world because it, this is very PAPN-ish and that it's a – this is a topic that we've dealt with before. David Gibbs at Mizzou. Is there any reason <laughs> to expect <laughs> – Scott Jarrett asks, are there any reasons to expect changes on that defense with Gibbs there? Now, for those of you who don't know, if you're not a, if you're not an OG day one guy a long time ago when Tony Levine was the head coach at the University of Houston, I wrote a story because they were just insanely ahead of everybody else in D1 in FBS on turnovers. And I went down there to write a story about creating turnovers, a philosophy which Mr. Bill Connolly fundamentally disagrees with. Sort of. You cannot coach turnovers. But you can coach turnover opportunities. To which then def- uh, then Houston defensive coordinator, uh, who then went on to Texas Tech, David Gibbs, who'd been at Auburn, he'd been in the NFL for a bit, um, alumnus of Colorado, which is funny because he was on the fifth down team, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he was. Um, vehemently disagreed with Mr. Bill Connolly. And I, I shuttled along this little rivalry for a while that you cannot coach turnovers. Um, he is now your defensive coordinator. Have fun. No, well, is that is he defensive coordinator or is he just a defensive coach? Oh, I didn't know. No, because they brought time. him on. They announced his hire and then they said, we'll discuss his role later, basically. So right now, like, I mean uh, – uh, Walters, also a Colorado grad, is the current Missouri defensive coordinator, and he has is a longtime Barry Odom guy. I don't, at best, I think this is a co-coordinator situation. Um, so it is different in that regard, and and for that reason, I wouldn't really expect any massive changes out of the gates. I just I found it threatening personally that he would show up in Columbia, um, 
Like I just assume right now he's trying to he's he's scouring the internet to figure out where I live uh, to end this once and for all. But no, I th- as far as I know, he is at best going to be a co-coordinator. Uh, and I, you know, if 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 it's basically ball hawking and and try being a little more aggressive in the secondary, I'm fine with that. That it? I expected something more controversial. <laughs> he's not defensive coordinator, or at least not yet. So I don't have to I don't have to go all the way down that road until I have to. Oh, I mean, wow. Okay, that was kind of a dud in the show. Well, I know, but he's not defensive coordinator. If he's Um, just a safeties coach or something, it's all good. What if you guys shot up all of a sudden and started like just like leading the SEC (laughs) in turnovers and everything else? Yeah. yeah. Um, Well, first of all, I would say uh, that was randomness paying off because Missouri's been destitute of turnovers. Not not as much this year, but the couple years before that. uh, So I could easily just say, "Hey, it's turnovers luck, man. It it progressed. We progressed towards the mean. It's not him. It's not him." Shout out to Girth Brooks. He asked another Virginia Tech question. I just wanted to say Girth Brooks on the show. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Speaking of which, uh, let's see. There is another. Um, let me see if I can find it on cue, and I'm sure I can't. Uh, there's some. Oh, uh, our friends at Iron Man Football I, at IMFB underscore blog. I just wanted to read this question. I don't have an, a- an actual answer. Is Miami now last chance of the U after Manny Diaz has gone full portal combat on us? portal combat too early to tell yeah i mean it's uh, he's not bringing in 80 but i mean clearly they needed some instant help and he's he's trying to bring that in um so i don't have any problem with uh what he's doing so far i just wanted to read the words portal combat at what point do you have to like hit the wall on doing your normal new coach offseason narrative when you're manny diaz so what i'm saying is this Super weird circumstance, like you take a head coaching job, you start talking about all the things you're going to do at Temple, then record scratch, you go back to the job that you left to take the head job from a guy who ostensibly, (laughs) I think they had a good relationship. Um, You can't come in and just shit on the old guy. Right. I think because it was so extreme this year with the offense being so limited as compared to the defense, I I don't think you have to worry about coming in and saying – and and towing the line and 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 being nice or not nice or whatever, you can just walk in the door and say our defense, our offense stinks. We need to improve it, uh, and and you're not going to get any pushback from any loyalists in that regard. Uh, first of all, from what, everything I've ever uh, learned about Miami fans through the year, there aren't just a ton of coach loyalists. It's basically did you win enough for us or not? And my, and Mark Richter at the end didn't. So therefore. <laughs> Um, I, I think everybody's on the same page here. If he, if, you know, we'll see if he, if we start hearing little hints about this is actually a rebuild or something like that, then, you know, maybe, but right now he's just trying to add offensive talent and offensive coaches. And he, I think he's done an okay job of it. Billiam. I'm going to find them damn predictions. I'm going to find that damn time. Catch. Yeah, well, somebody else, again, take advantage of our Reddit, have somebody else do it for you. Yeah, we just don't have. We have zero incentive to add. Uh, you get a guaranteed. You get a guaranteed three questions spread over three episodes that you get to ask or topics or whatever. If you can, if you guys want to go dig, find the time capsule and transcribe the predictions that I made. I believe there are <laughs> ten predictions. Since for some reason, for someone who never deletes a Google Doc or an Evernote, I cannot find this damn thing. Uh, surely, um, I documented which episode it was somewhere, like in the in the yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, something. I can tell you right now, it's 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 in the months of July and August. So, I mean, you only have, that's eight episodes, I think, to dig through. So it's yeah. not that, it's not that much of a needle in the haystack. But yeah, somebody, somebody go do our work for it. Go, do his work for him. Do all this work for me so I can show how stupid I am. Because I think I only got two of those right out of those 10. But that's how <laughs> dedicated I am to showing my ignorance. We'll see you next week. Yep.